0: As uh, you may or may not know, I have spent this past week in Wake Forest, on campus at Southeastern, um, learning how to preach. <laughs> and I stayed overnight in a, in a hotel right outside of campus, and I go to bed early because I wanted to be rested up for my day and about 1 30 a.m in the morning this fire alarm goes off and i jump out of bed you know wondering what's going on and i'm sitting there under the fire alarm in my room waiting for it to shut off maybe this is a false alarm and it kept on and on so i look out in the hallway and i see heads coming out looking out in the hallway and go back in I gave it a few more seconds and waited and the alarm kept going. So I stuck my head back out and there again was folks looking down the hallway and, and ducked back in. And I thought to myself, if there was really a fire, we would be in trouble. Because nobody was taking it serious. So I said, you know what? I think I'm going to I think I'm gonna go head on down just in case. So I went in i grabbed my wallet i grabbed my little bit of change i said well at least i can grab a drink on the way down maybe maybe the fire alarm will shut off and and then i could you know come out, get a drink going back up to my room and i went downstairs in the lobby and outside the door and there was people everywhere standing around just just kind of moseying on through the parking lot and through the and through the lobby and i thought to myself again if if this is the attitude if this was a real fire we would be in trouble now, before I walked out of my room, I looked out my window and I saw a swimming pool. So I said, well, at least if there is a fire, I can break out the window and jump in the swimming pool. This is going through my mind. I thought to myself, there was an alarm that went off. And it went off for probably, I would say, at least 10, 15, 20 minutes going on and on. And if there was a real uh, alarm, if there was a real threat, we would we'd be in trouble. And I'm standing there outside of the entrance Uh, of the hotel and i'm standing and two big fire trucks come in these guys come in with full gear on uh, axes in hand fire extinguishers in hand i mean they're dressed in gear from head to toe they spent a little time inside and came back out and told everybody that they can go to their room and in that moment i was like lord there's got to be something here that you're trying to teach there's got to be something here that you're trying to teach and so I'm driving back and I'm like, well, and I thought to myself, every day and every week, somebody in the world hears God's word raised, preached, and taught in some capacity. Every Sunday, we come and we sit and we hear God's word. We learn God's word in our classrooms. We learn our, the word of God in small groups or whatever it might be, and to some degree and in some way, I believe that we are like those folks who do not sense an urgency in God's Word and we, we mup around getting from place to place, all of us, self-included, as if the Word of God is not raising a flag, a warning for us. So that's going to be my challenge this morning, to hear the urgency every time God's Word is distributed every time god's word is preached and taught there is urgency god did not inspire the writers to write out this word just for us to take it lightly amen he did not inspire people not only to write the word but then to die for the distribution of the written word of god so that we could sit here comfortably go to our homes and never internalize the word of the lord And so today I want to raise a flag, I want to raise an alarm. I want you to hear the urgency in the message today. If we don't hear anything else, I want you to hear the urgency of the message today because we have an awesome responsibility to work through God's Word together today. And so we're going to finish out the second chapter of the book of Acts. I want to raise an alarm, I'm going to raise a flag. Today's sermon will be taken from verses 42 through 47. That is entitled True Fellowship. What does it mean for a body of Christ to have true, genuine fellowship? Well, I hope that you'll give me just a few moments to try to unpack a couple of different ways into how we can display and enjoy true fellowship together. I believe that God has saved us as his people to have true communion and fellowship together. And I'll go ahead and say this at the onset at the beginning. There is no such thing as a Lone lone Ranger Christian. You probably heard that said before. But we need, we learn in community... Can a Christian be a Christian in isolation? Sure. But we learn and we grow in community. We learn and grow with one another. And so I will raise the alarm. We need true fellowship amongst our body today. So I'll ask you, would you stand with me? As we read from chapter 2, verse 42, in the book of Acts, And the word of the Lord said, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any that had need, and day by day, attending the temple breaking bread in their homes. Together they received their food with gladness and with generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for this word. Father, we are grateful that you have called us together in community And you have given us the special bond together by your Holy Spirit. You have grafted us and bonded us together to grow together in our faith, to be on mission for you, to enjoy one another's company and fellowship, to love on one another, Father. And so today I pray that you would help me, God, as I navigate through this word to exhibit true fellowship and how we might see true fellowship and encourage one another towards it. Father, if there's one here today who doesn't have the true fellowship that is in Christ Jesus as Lord, who doesn't know you as Lord, I pray, God, that you would save that person today according to your grace and mercy. Father, and the church would be edified and strengthened today through this word that you have put before us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, please be seated. Now, as I read these verses, I cannot help but to mark some indicators of true change that occurs i'm just old-fashioned i believe when a person comes to know jesus that they have changes in their life the bible says that we are new creatures new creations there's a newness about it a newness in our step and so i believe that as we become believers and we are changed by the supernatural power of the holy spirit that there is an indication of change in our life. We cannot be the same old person that we were, although we have those struggles from now uh, now and again, but we ought to be ultimately a new person in Jesus. But there are certain actions, I believe, that are taken in the early church that points towards genuine faith in Jesus and true love for one another and in the moments that we have together that is going to be my challenge is to point out these actions and then to issue for us a challenge as to uh, follow suit I, I would like to frame for you an 82nd snapshot and so if you want to if you want to take time you can hold me accountable if you will and eight I, I timed this so 82nd snapshot of where we've been so far here we go the Apostles and the disciples were awaiting the promise Of the Holy Spirit waiting in the upper room for the giving of the Holy Spirit they awaited the promise in this upper room they were together in one place in unity they were praying together and having genuine fellowship together and all of a sudden there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind that swept through the whole place and the Holy Spirit fell down on those faithful recipients there they began to speak in unknown tongues or foreign languages and an amazing event happened they all understood one another in their own language. They could all tell what each other was saying. This was a miracle from God. For it is said in Acts 2 and verse 8, how, how is this that we hear one another, each of us in our own native language? Peter began to preach uh, preach an, an expositional sermon from the prophet Joel, indicating that the prophetic announcements offered by Joel has now occurred. There will be miracles and dreams and visions, young men and old men. This would be the norm until the death of the apostles. Peter preaches the truth of Jesus as Messiah. And then he challenges his brothers and sisters to repent and to trust in Jesus as this long-awaited, forecasted Messiah. He is your Messiah. Many did. And in fact, the Bible tells us that there were 3,000 people saved and added to the body of Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us that there was people added to the church daily. So true fellowship, what does this look like? True fellowship. I believe that true fellowship means that we must be devoted to growing in our faith. You must be devoted in growing in your faith. And what does that mean? Well, verse 42 helps us as we look at the lives of the apostles and those who heard them teach. They, that is the early church, those who were recipients of the supernatural saving grace and power of God, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and of prayers. So let's, uh, let's think about those. They devoted to the teaching fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Those are four tangible things that they did together. The result of this first Christian sermon preached by the Apostle Peter is amazing. And and to say that 3,000 souls were saved or added to the church is not to say that 3,000 souls were added to a social club. They were not added to some type of of trendy uh, meeting. It wasn't added to some social event. They were added to the church and added daily. See, the numbers aren't recorded here just so that we can say, Aha, see what we did? There wasn't a calculation of numbers so that the apostles could step down from that upper room and say, Look at all that we did. There was no boasting about the numbers. There was no raising your hands. Look at all that we did. Look at all what we collected. Look at all of these people. They were not counting and taking a head count just to brag about what human endeavors that they have accomplished, but they were showing that God was truly growing His church. This is His work, not ours. So they immediately, they fell under the authority of the preaching. Nobody had to tell them once they were saved that they needed to read God's Word. Nobody had to tell them, now you need to learn about Jesus. You're saved. Nobody had to tell them, you need to navigate through the word. You need some biblical intake, young man or young woman. They fell under, they immediately fell under the authority of the preaching and teaching of God's word as if it was life-changing, as if the apostle Peter was raising a flag, raising an alert. Pay attention. It's Jesus whom you crucified, is Messiah. Now, the wording of this, they devoted themselves, can be understood is that they attended constantly upon it. That means they met every day. That means they met all the time and listened and took to account the word that was being taught unto them. They soaked up the truth of the preached word of God like a sponge. See, they didn't contend with Peter, at least yet. They didn't go home after the sermon and pick apart the preacher. They didn't go home and open the bulletin and try to find all the mistakes. They didn't try to criticize the music. They didn't try to criticize the order of service, or this should have been here, this should have been there. They attended themselves to the preaching word of the Lord, and they fell under the authority of the word of God with conviction, like it was going to change their lives. They continued with one another through the word and through the Lord's Supper together. See, J.I. Packer, I love J.I. Packer. He wrote the the little treatise I like to call, uh, well, it's entitled, Knowing God. J.I. Packer said this of the verse. He said, listen carefully. The people continued in right teaching. Until our teaching be right, then our life must be wrong. We must ask for the pure bread, the pure water, the undefiled Bible, and to live on that. Out of such nutritious food, there will come proper results such as fellowship, sacramental communion, and common prayer. A man says... Listen, a man says that I can pray by myself, and that is absolutely true. That is perfectly true. But you should realize that you are something more than yourself. You are part of a sum total. A man is not at liberty in Christian sense of manhood to detach himself from the common stock of which he belongs. If you are a child of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, you cannot detach yourself from the body of Christ. Herein is the advantage of common prayer and common praise. As we see in Hebrews 10, 24, 25, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I need it, brothers and sisters. I need it. I need to be together as encouragement and growing in my faith. This community of believers, they broke bread together in true fellowship. This fellowship was in reference to the commonality that they had in Jesus Messiah that was their commonality. Uh, in fact, the word for fellowship is this commonality. Koinonia is the word. It is a commonality. What was the commonality? It was Jesus as Messiah. And Jesus, Messiah, and they are the church. This is their fellowship. This is their commonality. I envision a, a time of fellowship. Let's take, for instance, something as simple as a fellowship meal together. Some would say... Um, especially those who really do understand the totality of Baptist culture, particularly Southern Baptist culture. Many of my friends, some people would say, well, Southern Baptists are known uh, not necessarily for being people of the book, but for their casserole dishes. And so, people are expected to have a casserole from a from a baptist church or in a baptist church regardless a true time of fellowship means that we share even if it is in that casserole even if it is in a meal together we share in the common witness and testimony to the work of jesus what does this look like what does this look like a simple thing of having a meal together we gather around the table of, of of with friends we share in life together we share in the goodness of Jesus. As we work in the community, we share in the goodness of Jesus with us and with those that we are working for. And those receiving the benefit from that work will be blessed because we have a common fellowship together. How many times can our Baptist men say, our Baptists on mission say, when they go on a job site that they have received just, amount, uh, just uh, uh, the blessing that the recipients Received as well that they come away from those those places being blessed or any other work or endeavor We as we are in true fellowship around the commonality of Jesus and we love on one another then that just I mean that rubs off on, on Those around us. It just rubs off I want you to notice what happens after they devoted themselves to the word instantaneously to the word fellowship prayer and communion The Bible tells us that an awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Um, That is important that that says through the apostles. Those that witnessed these events were in awe, but most importantly, Luke the evangelist records that all there that believed were united. And even though that this is hyperbolic language for emphasis, I believe it was pretty close that everybody met that met there who was a believer, they were unified and had the same purpose. A sense of awe came over the people. In fact, we get our word awesome from that. And so we could say that they were in awe and in worship. A worshipful spirit came upon all that were there because Jesus is Messiah. They're hearing the word, they're being moved by the word, they're praying together, and they're being moved to genuine awe and worship. I'm afraid that today in the... Landscape of Christendom in many churches, we have, in some regard, lost that awe, that awesomeness. Jesus is awesome. Somebody say amen to that. We Somehow have lost that sense of awesomeness. Even today, you're probably saying, hey, I've heard all this before, preacher. I've heard this before. I'm afraid that we have lost much of that reverential, worshipful awe of the God who rose again on the third day and saved us who were on our way to hell and the Lord saved us and brought us out of that are you still in awe of the fact that Jesus saved you as a sinner why <laughs> why would God ever bother with a, with a redneck who lived on Halls Run Road in Jacksonville North Carolina who what would God ever have to do with investing in a person like me or any of us Notice the signs, the wonders here that were done through the apostles, and this should be an indicator to you concerning signs and wonders because the apostles have died and they died a long time ago and with them goes these particular signs and wonders. Now, that's not saying that miracles do not happen today because miracles do happen, but in the sense of signs and wonders, these have ceased when the apostles died. There's no more need for God to authenticate what he is doing. He has already authenticated what he has done We have the canon of Scripture. We have God's Word. We have His Holy Spirit. We have the closed rule or canon of God's Word. So let's tie this together before we move on to the second factor of true fellowship. They were constantly feeding their souls through the teaching of the Word. They were in close fellowship one with another they ate meals together they shared life together they prayed together all of these events happened at the same time that they were all struck in reverential worship it sounds like they were made alive doesn't it quickened made alive there's a reason that uh that their lives were now vastly different and our lives our in christ is vastly different don't get me wrong they they were still very jewish in their tradition they were hebrew people so don't try to separate this they were jewish in their traditions and then their customs but something happened to them that they trusted in jesus as messiah this carpenter's son from nazareth who uh who died on a roman cross who was dirt if you will dirt poor in some regard even though he was a carpenter who walked around who taught 12 people who laid his head on a rock for his for his pillow, This man has changed the world. And so something happened. They saw Jesus risen again, so they trusted in in him as Messiah. Colossians 2 verse 13 paints a beautiful picture of what transpires when making one new. Colossians 2 and verse 13 says this, and you, by the way, that's you. That's the church at Colossae. That's worshipers of Jesus who's been changed, transformed, saved, born again, born, born from on high, born again, made anew. You, who were dead in your trespasses, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses. So it is God who has done the work. It's not only you at Colossae or disciples in the upper room, but you, worshipers. You were once dead in your sin, not sick, not sin-sick, dead. God made you alive and has forgiven you of your damnable, sinful state. So did they have a reason to rejoice? Do you have a reason to rejoice and seek true communion together with the Lord and with one another yes do we have reason to feast upon the word of God and to grow in our faith yes see this word to make alive is the Greek word where God does the work it is to make alive it has it has no room for any human agency whatsoever the word that is used in the Greek is that God does the work God does the moving God brings the revival now, I have been praying for revival, as you have probably been following the Asbury revivals. I hope that you have. I've been praying for a revival ever since. All the while knowing that God brings the quickening, God brings the work. We were dead, and now we are alive in Jesus, and now we are sustained by His work. John Owen, the Puritan writer, wrote these words considering our own failure to bring our own righteousness. John Owen said this, If there be ground for you to trust in your own righteousness, then all that Christ did to purchase salvation and all that God did to prepare the way is in vain. I say that to say it's all God's work. True fellowship in Jesus means that we will grow in our relationship with him and we will seek to know him more to know his word more and to fellowship one with another now the second portion of this true fellowship is living in gospel community what is living in gospel community what does this look like and i believe the latter part of acts will help us to get a visual of what this looks like part of community is being devoted to the word we get that part of community is being in true fellowship the commonality that jesus saved me Just the commonality the fellowship and praying together i'm thankful that we are part of a local church that is a praying church amen i am glad that we are a praying church if you have counted the times that we have already prayed today then you would say if a person was a visit they would say that is a praying church and i'm grateful for that but also part of gospel community is to attend to the needs of others not just the, the needs of those who are hurting and destitute and ill and hungry, but the needs of others spiritually as well. When was the last time we said, my brother is struggling in his faith, my sister is struggling in her faith, what can I do to meet that need? What can I do to attend their need to help them get over this hurdle and to, to grow? That is part of our needs too, by the way. And we'll only know one another's struggles in community like that. Verse 44 says, And all who believed together, they had all things in common. It's interesting about this word that you see there for common. It has the same root word as the word fellowship, Coin. It has the same root word as this word fellowship. They had things in common. Fellowship, true fellowship. All of those who were now true followers of Jesus... They are united and they share everything with one another in this regard. So you got to realize that they're still very Jewish, still very Hebrew in tradition. And this is uh, not a new religion, not a new religion, but an extension of what they have already been told from old. It is a bringing to pass of what God has promised. And they continued using the temple for their assembling. They met in homes. They met in smaller church groups. In fact, there are uh, discoveries and excavations in the 2nd uh, and 3rd century where um, archaeologists have gone into homes and they have found in people's homes a, a, little, uh, a little section in the corner that has about a 6-foot hole that had been dug in the ground where they had met in their homes and they were baptizing believers in their homes. Baptizing in their homes. With other believers. So they met together uh, and they used the temple, they used their home, they used smaller groups. The point is, is that they met together. They would have no problem with Hebrews 10, verse 25 that tells them to do not forsake the assembling together. The early church was not concerned with filling the buildings. In fact, we don't see basilicas or buildings to the third century. The early church wasn't worried about filling buildings tallying numbers on the board they were not worried about filling buildings but bodies that were to be disciples in the world they were not worried about filling buildings with bodies but disciples in the world what a challenge that is plus this is where we get the phrase doing life together you've probably heard that phrase enjoying life doing life together as believers. Now, how are they sharing with each other they were selling their possessions and belongings and distri- uh, distributing all the proceeds that they had to all and any who had need and, and this is what they did because this is what they had this is what they had on hand the bible says that they were selling their possessions and supplying the needs to those who were in absolute desperation who were in, who were in need now this is not socialism this is not communism this is people seeing a need and and meeting those needs because the love of Jesus compelled them to do so so one of my first years in in the college at southeastern was uh, in a in a church history class and we had a, a guy in that class who we always would call that guy that guy who, who knew all the answers who would even raise his hand and poise the questions in such a way to let the professor and everybody know they know a little bit about the topic so anyway he raises his hands he says well um dr finn uh he says is um this the first time that we see socialism in the bible and you could heard a pin drop because after that point the professor kind of let him have (laughs) a little bit of uh uh of a snarky remark and And told him the very thing that I'm about to tell you. Which is the early church gave out of the charity of their own heart. They gave because they were compelled by the love of Jesus. They were not forced to do it. So it doesn't capture the flavor of socialism or communism or whatever you want to call it. I would just say this is simple gospel community. They give because the love of Christ compelled them to do so. So let's try to compare this practice with a common practice today to say that this is a form of socialism or something like that. It would be like this. We get ready to pass the plate around or deacons come and they grab the plate and they pass around the offering plate and they stop at every single person and they slap your hand if you don't give it to the offering plate or they force you to give or they force you to put in that is not giving in charitably or generously. But it is forcing themselves. that is not what we see at all. They gave because of the newfound joys of Jesus, Messiah. What is more amazing than this is day by day, they met, attended the temple, they worshiped together, broke bread together, communed in their home, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The early church met every day. Now, I probably do not need to mention the neglect on all of us. Sometimes just, if we call it what it is, laziness when it comes to meeting together for worship or to do life together as believers. Sometimes we just get in a a funk, if you will. We get in a rut. the early church was hungry to meet together they have had a life change and it was hard for them to get it they were hungry and we have we have issue and patience meeting together once or twice a week and they met every day I don't want to sound legalistic I hope I don't sound legalistic I I don't want to place a law upon a person that says that you must be here every single time the doors are open and be here at every single event. I'm not saying that at all, but there should be a hunger and a desire to be around God's people and to learn and to grow together. I I do know this, though, that there is a desire to be around God's people, to fellowship together. When When we have genuinely have had an encounter with the living God, there is something that is different. If we are grafted into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, we are naturally going to want to spend time with the church. As J.I. Packer said, it's just an unnatural thing for Christ followers to be detached from the body. We are naturally going to want to spend time with one another, but I want you to listen to what they did. As they fellowshiped, as they communed together, as they broke bread together, as they prayed together, as they searched the scriptures together, they praised God. Look at verse 47. Praising God. I wish we could get back to that place of praising God and some freedom. Well, if my brothers and sisters in here today want to raise their hand, if they want to say amen, that they're free to do that, without feeling constrained or feeling as if their hands are tied by some preference or that somebody's going to whip around and look at you, listen, I don't care. I raise my hand and say praise God. I thank him for my salvation every day. I thank God for what he has done. For me and my family and for this church, I thank him for what he's done in in the community, for building his kingdom together. In spite of our own um, toxic preferences, sometimes that we grab a hole, God has grown his body in spite of our own selfishness. And so, praise God. They were having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day. I want to see that. I want to see that and sometimes I think we get caught up on inviting people to church as opposed to inviting people to Jesus they're not going to care about coming to church if they don't know Christ they're not going to care about sitting under a sermon a sermon seems like foolishness to somebody who doesn't know Christ they not they don't care one bit about what I say from Acts 2 they don't care one bit We need to invite people to Christ. And fellowship will follow. And the Lord added to his church day by day. They had a good reputation with people. Even though they were in a time when the church was, I believe, at its most pristine. Before sinfulness, before idolatry leaked in and had time to fester. Before the old flesh began to rise up. Before the church was known as hypocrites, they had favor with all people. It gave them an avenue for the gospel. We need to return to those days when we have an avenue, a catalyst, a foothold, if you will, to share our faith with other people without them saying, there's hypocrites over there. And yes, I agree, there's hypocrites. There's hypocrites in every walk of life. But it doesn't mean that we have to live in that stereotype, does it? What happened to the generation that would pull their pants up? You know, in my neck of the wood, we would say, we pull your britches up. March forward with the good news, whatever the cost. What happened to the generation? Well, listen, what happened to the generation that would serve Jesus no matter the cost? And I'll share with you a little secret. What happened to the generation? You are in this room. You are in this room. People with potential to serve Jesus wherever they are, no matter what age no matter what background so let me ask you this i've raised the alarm i raised the flag of fellowship and true fellowship a few things to alert you of and as i have been alerted myself would you be challenged in servitude to jesus or would we be like all of us who are looking out the hallway just staring out moseying through as if god's word has had no effect or do we take it seriously Will Piney Grove commit today serving the Lord in this sense of true fellowship? Now, because they were together, there was an allure to those that called Christ ones. And God added to the church daily. H.W. Beecher said this, that there ought to be an atmosphere in every Christian church that a man going there and setting for two hours, should take the contagion of heaven and carry home a fire to kindle the altar from which he came. What I'm saying is this when we leave this place today, will people know that you have been in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of other believers? Are we, as the body of believers, exhibiting true fellowship and are we living in gospel community are we devoting ourselves to the preaching and teaching of the word and growing in it and, and iron sharpening iron are we fellowshipping in this regard are we breaking bread together and doing life together or are we in life having our own thing in our own individual lane after the resurrection the early church was in close harmony they had the same vision to worship Jesus, to spread the good news throughout all the world. And that vision hasn't changed. That vision has not changed. So I have raised a bit of an alarm, a bit of an alert for you and I today to say, Lord, I I want to be in true fellowship. Forgive me, Father, for, and I've been there for my complacency. I understand. I'm going through life without any thought, intentional towards the gospel i've been there going through the motions maybe that's you today maybe even this morning you're like well begrudgingly let's go to church i'm hopeful that you have been shaped and transformed and touched by the word this morning if that's you i'll ask you if you will come and pray with me before you leave maybe you're here today say Preacher, I don't know how to, but somehow we need to get in this community and this fellowship together and learn and grow together. And one way we might be able to do that is simply through our small groups. And I didn't say all that to promote our small groups. I believe that they are important. But I did not say all of that to say, I didn't preach all of that to say and to showcase for you the importance of small groups. But there is a sense of true fellowship and a commonality that we have In Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope that you would pray with me.